Hi there, and welcome to the Sanctuary Podcast. Our vision is to find sanctuary in Christ, and then to be sanctuary to each other, and express sanctuary to this city. And so, for us, success is loving well, one person at a time. And if we can help you in any way, please do feel free to reach out, jump onto our website, sanctuarysf.com, and we would love to connect. Anyway, back to the podcast. Today, we're continuing a series called uh, On This Rock, looking at the real foundational truths that Jesus Christ clearly said, I want in the foundation of every healthy church. And we're just doing a few of them. Clearly, there's far too many to just uh, go through in a, in a short series. But we've been looking at things like the church that knows about honoring, the honoring church, the discipling church, the worshiping church, the repentant church. And today, my final sermon for now, Tim asked me to speak on the apostolic church. Now, you may immediately go, what on earth is that? That's a bit of a weird word, Tom. But fear not, although it has a rich, deep meaning, I'm going to make it as simple as possible today. Like with so many things in the Bible, one of the things I love about this book is it's simple enough for the youngest child to really get so much from it. But it's also deep enough so that no human can ever say, oh yeah, I've got it all. Right? It's this extraordinary multi-layered document and uh, it's, it's unlike anything else. And I spoke um, two weeks ago, I think, on, on, on the inerrancy of Scripture. I, that The Bible is unique. It is unlike any other book. And I'm going off topic already, but I just want to say, if you haven't listened to that sermon, please listen to that, because that's huge for us in these days in which we live. And because we believe in the authority of Scripture, we do come under it, and therefore we joyfully, as learners, as disciples, say, okay, a great book, what do you have to teach me today, even with unusual words like apostolic? Let's just say the word together after three. One, two, three. Apostolic. Get a, get a flavor for it in your nostrils here today. So um, this is because the McLeans are in the house and they started a classical school here. I didn't actually know they were coming in until last minute. Thank goodness for the next slide. Can we have the next slide, Kelsey? What an apostolic, and the next one, sorry. What is that definition? Look, there's Greek words up there. <laughs> Emma, are you impressed? Emma's very clever. Okay, definition. The term apostle is derived from the classical Greek apostolos, meaning one who is sent off to send. The literal meaning in, in English is therefore an emissary from the Latin, mitere, to send, and ex, from out, off. You get the idea. So this word that is throughout the Bible is both very profound. Jesus is the great one who is sent from heaven and then sends others. It is a profound word and there's great huge amounts of ink that has been spilled over its connection with who wrote the Bible and the authority of Scripture being with apostles. And there's a lot of complexity to it. But at the most simple, it really is this beautiful biblical idea that just as Jesus Christ was a sent one from heaven to earth, he came, and then he sent many others, that we too, as his body, we are like our head. Amen? So if this part of his 
personality, if I can put it in that term, of his, of his MO, his way that he works is, I'm a sent one, the Father's sending me. Oh, and then I send you. That feel should mark his church. Amen? I feel in a bit of an interactive mood today. Maybe it's because I'm, I'm leaving. I don't know. I get excited. But, so that's the simple big idea, that we are those who are open to being sent and to sending others. And you may say, great, Tom. That sounds exciting. It sounds fine. And the theory is, but the reality of being a body, a church, that is open, flexible, courageous enough to actually genuinely live in that kind of space where you are open to being sent and sending others. Lord, what are you doing? I tell you, it is one of the most difficult parts of, I think, like church building life. I mean, if we're honest, right? The last few weeks, if we have sent or seen the Lord send precious ones, Woodleys, Becks, Moras, Emily, others, goodness me. I mean, is it just me or is that just one of the most painful things in the world? And yet, this very painful calling, I would be as bold to say, is essential for the very expansion of the kingdom of God. So there's a tension is what I'm trying to get you to see. It's huge. This basic theory, or this basic theme, rather, is all throughout the Bible. And we go, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm behind that. But the reality of trying to live into it is very difficult. But we must because I believe, in fact, the very Great Commission depends on his people saying, Lord, by the very grace that raised Christ from the dead, let us stay able to do this again and again. Because my flesh says no, but my heart and my spirit must say yes. So that's where we're going today. And I'm going to look at three questions. Number one, what is an apostolic church? What does it look like? Number two, why is this important, Tom? And then number three, okay, so how can we take a bit of a baby step in continuing to be an apostolic or a sending church? Let me pray and then we'll dive into some scriptures. Father, we thank you. I thank you. Tom thanks you. We thank you that you sent your son. Man, I, every fiber of my fatherly being wants to protect my kids from any discomfort or pain. But Father, you willingly sent your beloved Jesus into this world of pain and evil to ultimately die naked, alone, on a cross in order to be then raised from the dead and to see a people raised up. And we thank you, God. And I pray, Holy Spirit, help us now to have minds and hearts that are open to the Spirit of God, bringing illumination in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so first question today that we begin with is this. What is a apostolic church? So, super quick uh, overview of this basic theme in the Bible. I think you could say right at the beginning, this idea of like sending is actually often associated in a negative way in the Bible. So Genesis, if you don't know much about the Bible, basically God makes everything and he keeps saying, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's very good. And we're like, yay, it's brilliant. And then humans muck it up, okay? I won't get into that today. But as a result of that, 
the first sending that we really read about is God sending Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden, banishing them. So sending is associated negatively theologically at the beginning. And then we, we, a few chapters later, humanity in its pride starts to build the Tower of Babel, this thing that's just to make themselves feel really important. And the city and the Tower of Babel are built. And then God sends languages for the first time onto planet Earth, not in a sense in a positive way, but to confuse them, to separate them so that they would be sent and scattered from that place. So in the beginning days of the Bible, this idea of sending and scattering is, is kind of actually has something of a negative uh, feel to it in some ways. Then you get to books like Isaiah, which is many hundreds of years later. And Isaiah, I think we have the scripture maybe on the slide. Isaiah is a prophet who uh, encounters the Holy God and says these famous words. Maybe I haven't written them down. You know them probably, many of you. When he sees the very throne of God, his words are, Lord, send me. And it's almost like, oh, that's an interesting idea. There's now this sort of recovery of the sending of God starting to be enacted out and to be uh, worked through. Then we come to the New Testament and we see full central sending in positive um, demonstration in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is sent by the Father. We know even at Gethsemane, there's this kind of battle of will where he's saying, Father, not my will, but your will. He's going to the most painful place of death that the Romans had ever invented. And so he doesn't want to go, but he is apostolic. He is a sent one in that moment, most profoundly, and says, not my will, but your will, Father. Okay, let's go again. Send, send me here. Yeah? And then he calls the intimate followers apostolic. We see that they're named apostles, which means their definition is sent ones. Think about that. That is one of their core attributes, is they're not just stayers, they're not just planters, but they're ones who have this openness to ascending via the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts chapter 2, verse 4, I, I think we do have this one. Um, again, a reversal of the Tower of Babel. This time the Spirit comes uh, at this time. And there's thousands of people from different nations. They don't speak the same language because of what happened at Babel, right? And now the Holy Spirit comes and equips the 120 who are gathered to be able to speak in German and in French or whatever the languages were. All these different languages supernaturally able to speak to them and tell them about the wonders of God. And God in his kind of joy and almost sense of, not sense of humor, but kind of, you know, just beautiful way of, his plan coming to fulfillment, now he's starting to kind of reverse associations with sending now with a positive thing. And then in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, and this is interesting as well. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles, interestingly, were scattered through Judea and Samaria. The diaspora occurs, the spreading, the dispersing. The, the, the thousands who were gathered in Jerusalem and became the first church are then scattered and sent. One of the principles I want us to notice, look at this, it's through persecution. So when we think about being sent by God, 
This is huge, okay? God uses 101 different ways to send his people all throughout the world. Okay? They probably didn't like persecution. They wouldn't have thought, oh yes, right now, as in a broad sense, apostolic people, we are being sent. They were just running for their lives. And yet God uses it. And this beautiful principle means that even in your everyday life as a sent one, he will be using different ways, sometimes painful, to send his people. So we are not static. That we are followers of Christ, not just static doctrine people who get right thinking. But we're actually moving with him. Even in our days. In our average days where you're just doing your normal thing, he is always wanting this kind of openness to being sent by him. So Acts 8 verse 1 is massive. Boom! This apostolic moment, this sending moment. And you could even say the reason, if you're not a Jew here today, that you know Jesus is because of that moment. That's when the gospel goes global. That's when it goes wild and it starts to go out all to the world. God knew that, and he used a persecution to bring an apostolic moment. Then we come to Ephesians chapter 2, one of the, um, the most well-known bits of the Bible. And he starts to talk here again in Acts, uh, Ephesians 2 verse 20. He says here about the church, he says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household or family, built on foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So here we see again this idea. What does it mean to be a church with a foundation with a, built on a rock of prophets and apostles? And again, theologians, there's 101 different ideas. So there's probably some truth in most of them. But at one level, at the most simple level, I think what it definitely must mean surely is if apostles are sent ones and there were the, the special 12 when none of us are saying we're those but we are still representing in some ways the great apostle Jesus then I think what it must mean is that churches in their very DNA are not like static monuments that never change and fossil fossilize you know that's the death of a church there must be this kind of like kind of uncomfortable but vibrant movement thing happening that I think apostles really live in the kind of cutting edge of. Amen? There's something about this kind of deal that's really, really important. And if you know anything about apostle, the apostle Paul, who wasn't actually one of the 12 apostles, but he was pretty impressive, <laughs> who planted, well, dozens of churches at least in the New Testament, um, arguably, you know, the greatest apostle aside from Jesus, you could argue that I think, his pattern, this is really important, was nearly always to go somewhere for a short period of time, proclaim the gospel as led by the Spirit, and then leave. It was kind of reckless. It was kind of reckless. You know? And, and he would do that again and again and again. Now, this is really important. I'm going to say something that I think is true in particularly American culture. I think American culture is very strong on understanding about long-term pastors, like the pastoral gift, right? Who stay in one place for a long time. 
and it is biblical and it is precious and beautiful. Amen? Alongside that, there is also, we see, this um, other deal happening, this other dynamic, an apostolic deal happening. In fact, if you look at Ephesians chapter 4, just over the page, it says this, so Christ himself, risen from the, from the dead, gave these five-fold ministries. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Why? So they could do, do everything, and people come and watch a show. No, to equip his people for works of service. Why? So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. And we become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Wow! Christ is ascended. And then he pours out these incredible five-fold gifts. The five-fold gifts is such a precious way in which I think the New Testament churches were built. I think it's why Paul could do so much, in a sense, so quickly, because the way in which he was operating was, well, Jesus, if you're raised and you're giving men and women to be equipped as apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers and evangelists, if you're sending that from on high to see the body of Christ both started and strengthened, if you are committed to that, then, man, a lot can happen that's not logically possible. And in that mix, you see alongside the pastoral gift, which has a a long-term dimension to it, you also see this apostolic dimension. And when you look, for example, with Paul, as I said, again and again, he was in a place deeply pastoral, deeply emotionally connected, but also apostolic. And, and therefore, through pain, willing to separate. And I think in the US, let me be bold, you know, bigger is best, right? I, I don't believe that. But there is this like, big, man, I want it big. And so you have, I grew up in, in the UK where most churches are small. And then you look at America, and there's like a church of 10,000, 20,000. And that's brilliant. I'm not against it. I'm not, again, I'm not, I'm not sizist, okay? But often it's like, oh, that guy is an extraordinary pastor teacher. And so they're growing this incredible thing in one place, and that's great. But the celebration is sometimes only in that metric, rather than, I think, in, in, in uh, you know, having a view for that alongside an apostolic metric, which can also mean that things shift and change and multiple things get started, which on the ground may not look as big and shiny, but globally can be profoundly, um, com- profoundly Im- impactful. And I think that, I, I would say that I think that's something, um, the people who are held up as the heroes in, in, my, in my kind of, you know, pastor world thing, it's like, oh, if you've got a huge church, you're a hero. And, and I'm like, well, they may be, you know, maybe, but maybe not, you know. And actually, the movement we're part of, which started in England, sleepy England, as a house church movement in the 70s, born out of a move of the Holy Spirit with a bunch of men and women who were mainly exclusive brethren. Any of you know exclusive brethren? No? Okay. It's a bit like, a little bit like, uh, not quite, but kind of like the Mennonites, Okay. So not an obvious pick 
to be super charismatic and like prophesying and but they love their bible and god touched these amazing men and women who are now the fathers and mothers of our movement in their 80s now still going for it terry and wendy virgo and many others and out of england then now ultimately thousands of churches have been started all over the world um but the, the metric of, sort of celebration includes the pastoral, the long-term, the big, you know, but also the kind of the pushing beyond as well. And I think that's something that's really precious, actually. I think there's a, there's a sort of nuance here that God wants um, us to be aware of. And I want to say, when you think of it like that, on this day where, yes, the shores are leaving in a couple of days, but I look out today... And I think many of you have been here basically since the beginning, four years ago. And by the grace of God, we have survived a pandemic. We have survived a doom loop, whatever that is, being like sucked into a, some sort of awful, you know, thing. Vortex, yeah, of death. Uh, a thou- 100,000 people leaving SF, apparently, over the last two or three years. And yet you look out, and yes... If you only have a metric of size, you think, oh, sanctuary's a fairly modest-sized little thing. But you look at it through an apostolic lens. Man, this is so important. So important. God doesn't see it like we see it. Man looks on the outside, but God looks on the heart. How many times do we have to see it? I don't just celebrate my kids when they're bigger. I celebrate them when they're diddy, when they're little. But that's just as important as the same DNA is in Daisy when she was tiny as when she's more grown up now. And I just want to say I am so proud of you. I'm so proud of how God has led us to build. I love our name. That wasn't from me. God gave me that name at prayer meeting at Radiant. I love our vision of loving well one person at a time. I love our vision statements where we say we want to be unhurried in the presence of the poor, not watching our clocks, and we want to be unfazed in the presence of the powerful. I love that. It's precious. It's from God. It's not Tom. I really believe that. I love it that we're starting to do Alpha. And many people are coming here saying, oh, I just Google church Alpha, and I think I can trust churches like that. And trust, trust is under attack in our day and age. Breaks my heart. People need a trust at a place. I love our emphasis on prayer. I love it. It, it. It's so important. And I just want us, I feel God saying, see this bride, this beautiful bride that the king is making ready. See it through his eyes. Amen? And I know you do. I know you're saying, yes, go on, Tom. I can feel it because you said it to me. So important. We live in a world of lies. We live. I love San Francisco. I love this world, but it is under the dominion of someone else. Is what the Bible says. The prince of the power of this age has darkened the hearts of the people. And so, this isn't a joke. This isn't like a nice little optional thing. This is like hugely important for Jesus to say, mm, "How am I going to describe the church? Oh, it's my very body. It's my bride." I just feel so honoured to have been in this thing for the last four years. I love the way we're building, and I want to honor today with all my heart, and I could go on and on about this. I've, Josie and I have felt so honored, just so you know that. Tim, Kelsey, Billy, Amanda, 
Many of you, Joni Scott, Ronnie Colleen, many of you, you've just been so honouring. And I want to honour you today with, with the few moments I have and just say, I love you and I'm so proud of you. Because you've been sent. You left a big house in Nashville and a very, very comfortable life in many ways. You're like, whoa, the Spirit's making me cry. He's doing something. This is terrifying. I like to be in control. Let's jump out of the airplane without a parachute. And I honor you for that. Billy and Amanda, I don't want to embarrass you. You've got your own version of that, right? I remember talking to Billy, poker face Billy, like nervously saying, well, we think the Spirit might be saying it's, we're going to go and plant a church. And Billy's like, mm-hmm, uh-huh. And I was like, oh, I don't think, he's, I don't think Billy's going to come. <laughs> he's got an amazing life in Visalia. And then he's like, we're in. And in fact, we're moving ahead of you. And they did. Do you understand? This is like, this is scary, but exciting. Amen. And I just want to say, particularly Atkins and Harms, we honor you today. I could honor many of you, so please don't be offended if I'm not mentioning. But I want to say, as core founding couples, well done. And this church is blessed to have you pouring out your hearts. You don't have to do that. You will work bonkers hours as well. But because you love Jesus and you love his church and you are led by the Spirit, your yes again and again matters so much. And I honor both of, both of these families and I honor all of you who are in a sense, you know, with them in this and saying we could choose a, an easier option in some ways, but we believe the Spirit might be at work. He might be. Let's just, we've got one life before he returns. Let's do it. Amen? Can we honor these guys particularly? I could say so much more. So proud of you. And we will be very connected in heart and in WhatsApp. Okay, we're just a WhatsApp away. And flights to the UK are very cheap. Okay, uh, anyway, I want to also say this. Sorry, I'm on my first point. Oh my goodness. Okay, just settle in. You won't see me for a while, so. Uh, but this is important, actually. I don't apologize. I don't apologize. I would also say this, is that because I think an apostolic church is also, it feels a bit random. An apostolic movement can feel a bit unpredictable. If you look at Paul, he frequently is like, oh, I tried to go into you know, Asia, and the Holy Spirit said no. <laughs> Instead, go over here and go over here. So I went over here, and then I went to sleep, and I had a dream. And this guy appeared to me, a man from Macedonia, said, Oi, Paul, we need your help in Macedonia. He's like, where's Macedonia? All right, I'll go over Macedonia. And and it feels like this. Now, this is really important. Again, many of you are very clever. You're very good at planning, and we need that. Amen. But I think an apostolic people, part of it, being a sent people, is, is saying, even when it feels counter-logical in some ways, if that's a word, or just illogical. So just, let's use a word that exists. Uh, it, it can feel a bit random. I think it would affect, if you were like, I'm going to be with Paul. I'm going to follow Paul around. You'd be like, where is he now? Okay? And I think that's important because sometimes our minds, we have to lay down the right to understand, to quote Sarah Davis. We have to lay down the right to always understand. That is a big, that's not natural for many of us. It feels scary and risky. And some of you right now are getting ready for your own moves. 
And even if you think it's right, it can feel kind of um, random or strange or in some ways like, is this definitely right? And I want to just encourage our hearts to say that even as we get, you know, the last, honestly, the last six months of Sanctuary have been the most wonderful six months. I mean, we've had our highs and our lows, and the last six months have definitely been a huge, huge high. So for us to be then getting on a plane can feel strange, right? But another way, I would so rather leave this church in a place of excitement and momentum and provision of God clearly on display than any other time. And that's actually what happened in Canterbury. When we felt the Spirit saying it's time to move on, the church was pumping. It wasn't struggling. And guess what? It's carried on to be a pumping church with now over 40 nations represented there and truly ascending church. There are moments that can seem strange, but that the Lord is behind. The moments can seem strange and not how we would do it, but the Lord is often behind them. One of the most famous moments was that our movement, New Frontiers, our family of churches, in, in, the, year, in the UK would have a big Bible camp. Called, it was in a little village called Stoneley. So the camp was called Stoneley. And we used to literally camp, and 28,000 of us would gather. And in England, that's quite a lot of people, because there's not many Christians. It's actually the biggest Christian gathering in Europe for many years. And it was this sort of supernatural thing that was happening. And then Terry, uh, the, the founder uh, of our family of churches, who sends his love, by the way, and has given into this church in many ways, um, he felt the Lord say, it's time to stop it, to close it. And people were like, why would you do that? This is crazy. And yet he, he felt the Lord say, no, because... I actually want to do a greater work of apostolic extension and expansion. And as great as this event is, the amount of energy that is going into it, and almost the sense of pride we're getting in this big gathering, I think is not actually that healthy for us now. I think it's time, like a dandelion, you know a dandelion, you go, and you blow on it, and all the little things fly. And he, I remember the last ever Stonely, we were just crying, and he's just, we're going to be like a dandelion. God's going to blow on. And God's going to move. And at that point, there were 240 churches. This little house church movement that had started 20 years earlier had grown to 240 churches in 22 nations. It was amazing. Then they stopped Stonely. And within nine years, by 2010, it had grown to over 2,000 churches globally in 90 nations. So somehow there was this equation between obedience to God, even when it felt painful and scary and the big loss of something, with this incredible acceleration of an apostolic pulsating move out from that place. And the Holy Spirit was like, right. And people, many people around that time were sent to places like New Zealand and to Canada and to uh, Russia, and to, to many different places, and they're, they're still now there, and churches have been built and established. John Wimber uh, has a wonderful quote about this dynamic. He says, the economy of the kingdom of God is quite simple. Every new step in the kingdom costs us everything we have gained to date. Every time we cross a new threshold 
it costs us everything we now have. Every new step may cost us all the reputation, security we have accumulated up to that point. It costs us our life. A disciple is always ready to take the next step. If there is anything that characterizes Christian maturity, it is the willingness to become uh, a begin to become a beginner again for Jesus Christ. It is the willingness to put our hand in his hand and say, I am scared to death, but I'll go with you, for you are the pearl of great price. Hallelujah. That is not comfortable. <laughs> but many of you resonate and go, that is my experience. And we don't even fully understand why. So an apostolic church has this kind of personality. Number two, why is it important? I think in many ways it's fairly self-evident as you start to get a bit of a picture for this kind of church rather than a static, inward-looking church. A church that is genuinely endeavoring to represent its head who is both sent and sending. First of all, the first reason it's important is Imago Dei, i.e. we as Christians, if you're a Christian here today, you are called to represent the very image of God. And if Jesus is a sent one and someone who sends others, then his body needs to also look like him. Number two, the Great Commission, I'm going to say this quite, quite, depends on it. Now, if you know me, I'm, I'm, I'm really into the sovereignty of God, okay? I love that God is the king, and despite all of my failings, he will get the job done. Amen? He will get that every tribe and tongue will ultimately see and taste the, the gospel of God. That is true. But small footnote, I would also say, don't become a hyper-Calvinist. Yeah? Don't, don't think, well, if God's going to do it, I can just wallow in the grace and not ever... You know, just his grace. It's just grace, 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 grace. I have to do it. No, well, yeah, yes. But grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness. That's what Titus says. That's painful. Saying no to ungodliness because you have tasted the grace of God is like, I don't want to be godly right now. <laughs> just want to be Tom Lee. But I'm going to try and be godly. Okay? And that's, that's really important. So there is a sense in which every single body of Christ, I believe Jesus Christ, if he was physically here, would look us in the eye with a smile, no doubt, and love, and say, chin up, Colleen, Lisa, Katie, McLean's, you're in my army, and I love you, but let's keep going. It would feel like that. Any of you ever watch Bear Grylls? You know Bear Grylls? Oh, that's a shame. Okay. <laughs> Rubbish illustration. Anyway, he would have that feel. Okay? He's not just a kind of back-rubbing back kind of God. He loves you. He's for you. He's a friend like no other. But your, your life is no longer your own friend. If you know Jesus and you know him, he died for me. He rose for me. That changes us. And one of the ways it changes us is by radical staying or radical going. It can be either. Yeah, if you're someone who's always just, oh, I, like the, I like the new thing, the next thing, maybe you, there's a radical staying is actually God is saying. I'm going to send you, but it's going to be locally, deeply. The third reason it's so important 
is what I've called well dones and blind spots. And what I mean by this is that God, the way that God has set up his global church is so that we need each other. You actually need people from different cultures, from dif- different ethnic backgrounds, different social backgrounds, to both encourage you and to challenge you. I, I, I know you know this, um, but God's really into his whole church, all two and a half billion on planet Earth, not just the church in America or the church in the UK, right? He loves the whole thing, and, and I'm sure you know this, but the church in the West is generally struggling. The church in the global South and global East is exploding. And so there's a, there's a time where we're saying, are we going to humbly learn from the way that many others are doing church in the global South and the global East, even if it looks differently? Because as we move throughout time, we need to keep learning and saying, the end goal, the end goal is that every tribe and tongue would come together under one head who is Christ. We would be brought together that Christians from Iran and Christians from Australia and Christians from Morocco would be coming together at the end times. And actually every culture has glimpses through different languages and strengths and emphasis of the gospel of Christ that we need to understand. Many of us are hyper-individualistic. And you go to a Middle Eastern country where family is everything. And if your life is all great, but you don't care about the family of God, there is like, that's a big deal. Because it's like you're abandoning your own family. And if I don't care about my elderly mum and dad, you should be in my grill. You should care about that. Because it says, honor your mother and father. And if God dares to use these sacred terms for family with his bride, but we in the West have a really warped understanding of family, we need to learn from nations which are super strong when it comes to family. And go, oh, wow, it is about me, but it's also about we. So this is the beauty of the church. That's why, you know, as small as it sounds, we in our signs outside the door, because this, 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 uh, this neighborhood is 53% Cantonese-speaking uh, Chinese, you know, although it took me a few weeks to get someone to translate it for me, each of the English words we said we've got to have in Cantonese, okay? And we've got to have it in Spanish because 15% of Portola are, are Latino. So we represent that and we don't just go, oh, it's a cute little thing. No, in the, the mystery of God, there are people from different cultures who will show me something about God that I would miss with my white, British, English-speaking lens. It's so narrow. Amen? That's be- it's messy, and it's complex, and it's, not- it's hard. But my word, this is like, pleases the heart of God. And there are t- in, in, in England, you know, uh, <laughs> we've got a lot of baggage from our empire, right? A few hundred years of not doing some great things. I don't think it was all bad, but I think there's a lot of stuff about it that isn't great. But then in, in Britain, you, 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 you know, as a white British person in a very multi-ethnic nation, you learn where your blind spots are. People come and they encourage you. Oh, do you know this? You know, with the British, we love you. We can trust you. You know, you're kind of reserved. Most British people are. I'm not like that. But you're kind of reserved, so I trust you, yeah? You could say something with a British accent. And I would receive it more than if someone else said it. And I'm like, that's, that's good. I don't know why, why, but praise God, that's like a, 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 it's a well done I'm receiving from another culture. 
I also, as a British person, have to learn where my blind spots are. And people from different nations can do it in a heartbeat. <laughs> Look, mm, we love the British church. Yeah, we, we kind of trust it. It's old and there's steady, you know, steady church. Been going a long time. You're not that generous, though. Americans, Americans are big on generosity. You just tip all the time. British people don't tip. What is tipping? No, we do occasionally, I know. But we're not very strong on it. You know, I'll give you a penny. And Americans, like your culture, God's graced you with generosity. I say thank you. I have learned so much. And that's when I came here and I talked to, actually, the main apostolic leader, Brian Mary, and we sat in Portola, me and Josie, him and his wife. The number one thing, he said, like, what do you argue about in your marriage the most? And I said, money. And it's mainly me. Because I'm fearful about money and I'm stingy. And I've learned, that's a gift you've given me. I am better, I'm more generous. I actually trust him a bit more with blessing others. So we, we learn from, from each other. In the UK, there's a huge African population in the church, particularly in London. I tell you what, they know how to pray. Oh my goodness. You know, uh, two or three times a year, there's this big um, building called the O2 Arena. It can hold 20,000 people. And there's, uh, there's Nigerian churches that gather to pray all night. And they are just praying their hearts out. God, move. Move in this nation. Move in this nation. And the kids are there. They're not off somewhere. They're with it, praying with their mums and dads. And then they get sleepy about midnight, and there's these rows of hundreds of little kids sleeping. And the mum and dad are still going for it all night. God, move. Move in this country. Move in the UK. You sent us here. We're not even in our homeland. But we're honoring it. We're honoring this place. And so Britain is blessed by this army of prayers. And, and many of us, British folk, are like, wow, wow we're, we're rubbish at praying. Teach us to pray. We need to learn to pray and not use excuses like kids. We're going to bring them with us. And they're going to hear mum and dad as they go to sleep. Going to hear mum and dad praying into the night. Do you see, this is, this is the way God works. So it's so important. There's, there's, there's well-dones and there's, there's blind spots. There's in, there's challenges that all of us need. This is why it's so important. And one thing I, want to, I believe God is wanting to reinvigorate in the U.S. is an increasing pioneering, sending deal here. This nation was built on pioneers. It was built on men and women who said, we're going to often get on a boat, and certainly from those from a European background, and risk a lot and come here. And and just start afresh. And as I said earlier on, you know, um, like, I think one of the things I love about San Francisco is filled with pioneers. It's filled with people who will take a risk and move and step out. And that's why the church in San Francisco has an advantage. Because in the DNA of the soil here, it's almost, a, it's kind of like a common grace version of apostolic flavoring. And I want to say, lean into that. Lean into that. You know, there's a great uh, famous uh, essay uh, called The Importance of the Frontier in the American Mindset. If any of you read that, it was written in the 1940s. The Importance of the, of, the, of, the, of the Frontier in the American Mindset. And a friend of mine prophesied, he said, I think one of the things God's wanting to do in the U.S. is to rekindle that. So it isn't just about size, but it's also about willingness to be sent, about pioneering pioneering, Lord, to pick up 
that pioneering mindset again. I was with a pastor who I deeply respect with a very large church in a city where there's tremendous transience. And I had lunch with him and I said, you know, I said, I came to your church and I know that majority of the people in this, in this church will, will fairly, within a few years, will be gone. But isn't it amazing that as you get to know them and then you hear about them being sent, you could help partner with them as they take what they, God's putting them in here all over the world. Like that dandelion, God can use you to almost, in this one city, to be instrumental in seeing thousands and thousands of workplaces and churches and communities touched. Isn't that exciting? Yes, local impact, but also global impact. And he looked really blank at me and was like, I'm just about here. I remember thinking, that's a brilliant pastoral mindset. It's brilliant. You're evangelistic locally. And that's important. But every church should be both local and global. I really believe it. I absolutely believe it. And I hope that doesn't come across as critical. But it was like, oh, Lord, this is an amazing church. And God's doing it anyway. So get behind it. Don't resist it. Don't resist it. Don't res- relax into it and let God do something great. The reason we tend to resist it is because it's painful, right? It's so painful sending people that we love. In, in Canterbury, uh, the church I had the privilege of leading, there suddenly became this season where all of our best friends, one by one, started telling us that God was, that they were going to leave and go to Finland or to France or to other parts of Britain. And they were just very normal people, but they said, we're going to believe God to see a church started as well. We're, gonna, we're just going to do it. And, you know, uh, these are like my, my best man, uh, a guy I lived with for six years, and it all happened in the space of a few years. And in the end, nine churches or nine communities were started in nine years. And it was like ripping out my guts. Our very dearest friends, you know, the, the area, <laughs> our friends around us, got less and less as it, you know, they all just sort of w- were set. And I, re- I really, I was really irritated with God. And was like, I just want a mega church, God. Give me a mega church here. I don't want to, I don't really care about Finland or, uh, who cares about Finland? Where is Finland? You know, I was just like, I just want my dear friends here in one big happy church, please. And, um, you know, I think there's two classic wrong mistakes we make. We either become like a holder or we become a hurler. Yeah? We, we either try and hold on to people and guilt trip or resent them ever leaving. I'm sure you've never, ever struggled with that. I have many times. You try and hold and sometimes controlling pastors are those who are like fearful and we want to hold on to everyone. Or the other extreme is you just sort of hurl people out. Okay, fine, go, kind of thing. And they're like, oh, all right, I thought we were friends, but <laughs> all right, okay, see you then. Right? And we either hold or we hurl. And God is saying, no, I I don't want you to be like that. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians, we see how Paul did it. He says this, 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, he says, um, "We We were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Because you come so dear to us, surely remember, brothers, our toil, our hardship. We work night and day in order to not be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of Christ to you. 
Verse 11, for you know that we dealt with you as a father deals with his own children. That's the key. How do we not hold on to people? How do we not hurl people out of a quiet sense of rejection? We have to have a family mindset. That's what Paul's saying. I was like a mother with you. I was like a father. And any of you who have either been in a family or are raising a family, you know that, of course, in the early days, all the kids are around the table. We're all super close. You know, what you say is what they always do. Not at all. But you have this sense of gatheredness, this closeness, and then nearly always as they grow up, guess what? They get into uni, or they do an apprenticeship, or they just start to get ready to leave. And this is where you can either hold or hurl. And God says, no, 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 no. An apostolic church is a family. It means this, is that we let people go, we love them as they go, and we stay connected with them. Yeah? We say, yes, you are now in that place, but I still think of you often. I still pray for you. I still care about what God is doing in your heart, even though you're no longer here. Just as you would with your children, right? You don't, most of us wouldn't just stop caring for our children because they're no longer geographically close. In some ways, you, emis, you could even say, I care even more because absence can make the heart grow stronger. Global family is a church, an apostolic church, that cares about um, the family of God even when they start to grow up and are sent and are in different locations. And um, what this means is you start to have not just friends, but family. Say family. Family all over the world. Family. You actually have friends and family all over the world. A family member in every port. You have, and that's why when Jesus says anyone who's left their, you know, their mum, their dad, for this, you will have, you'll be given a hundredfold in this life. As you lay down your life and you say, go with our blessing. Go with our blessing and keep us in contact and we care. There's an honoring of God's plan that is very precious and he will honor you for that. And you start to grow in this sense of having a genuine global family around you. And you start to care as we've sent people like, I don't know, like the Becks recently. Many of you know the Becks who were here just for nine, ten months and they've just moved to DC and they're an amazing family and <clears throat> that, this changed their life these few months in this church. And if you know Matt, he works for Space Force and he meets four-star generals all the time. Super humble, but crazy like, whoa, you know stuff. Come on, give me some juicy gossip, Matt. He wouldn't ever do that. He's too man of integrity. But it's like Matt and, and Jamie had not been to a church like this before. And they came, they took a risk. And I think maybe the Lord was sending them here. I don't think it was just my winsome charm. I think it was maybe the spirit for a season and then he sends them and now we're with them in our hearts. I care about them in DC. I really do. I'm cheering them on. I'm proud. And your time with them has changed them. They're different people. And so they're now equipped to be in DC and they needed this time. They couldn't have got to that bit without this bit. Amen? This is so wonderful because then it stops you losing heart. You go, no, no, no. I just need a bigger vision. 
I need a bigger heart, a bigger vision, a global vision. And we live in a time and in a city that is so globally minded. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's what God's put you in a place that's naturally like that. Much more than other places which just don't care about anywhere apart from our little town. People in San Francisco care about global stuff. So you're in a wonderful place where God says, yeah. And you're going to keep caring about dear family members that the Lord will send from this place. Finally then, how do we actually do it? I mean, one minute on this because I haven't got all the answers. But the biggest thing is having a vision for it. It's just having a vision for it. And if your heart has been even slightly warmed, just say, oh yeah, I think that this is, this is in God's heart for his local church. I haven't really seen this. I've seen the church as a place you know, where there's pastoral and there's teaching and there's evangelistic outreach and there's like prophetic stuff. I haven't really thought about a church that's also apostolic. Friends, the, f- the first and the biggest thing is just getting it into your souls. So you start to wear it. You start to have it in you. It's not just a leader thing, it's a whole body thing. It's, it really is quite profound when it sort of sinks into you. I remember resisting it and resenting it for years. Then I had a sabbatical because I was exhausted and burning out. And God was like, hey, I care about the countries I'm sending these people to. Stop being selfish. Come on, Tom. Care as well. So I was like, all right, where's Finland? Where is it? Oh, it's near Russia. Okay, I'm with you. I'm going to get on a plane. I'm going to care. Amen? And, and it requires just like, okay, because if we're family, if relationship is the highest priority, I'm going to care about what you care about. So it may not be you particularly naturally care about other places, but when God sends dear family members, you go, all right, I'm going to get excited about this place as well. So the first step is getting vision in your, in your hearts. Secondarily, I would also say, our value, we must value this. It's not just about seeing it, it's about valuing it. Rick Warren, most of you will know, who led, or, lead, or did lead, one of the biggest churches in America, he talked about his sort of struggle with this. Um, and he said, there was a moment where I had to go from celebrating my seating capacity to, send, to celebrating our sending capacity. I love that. Yes, we do celebrate what God's doing here. But we also recognize that when the Spirit is at work, you can't control Him. <laughs> you can't. If we're going to be charismatic, that doesn't just mean someone comes up and shares us. It means we're apostolic. It means we're, oh, Spirit of God's in control. And I, as a leader, it's agony at times. That's the number one reason we don't do it, because we can't control it. But I say the risen Christ is cheering us on. Having a vision for this means we have a vision for the, the bigness of God. Like Isaiah said, wow, you're high and throat. Send me. You're, you need to keep our eyes actually not on the people, but on, the, on him. Some of you are here. You're going to feel the loss of some people as they go. And we go, Lord, give me vision again. Let me value this again. Because this is painful. But I need to value what you value. I want to love what you love. I want to hate what you hate. Change me, Lord. Change me. And then finally, and I would say this. This church is at a key stage where its personality is just starting to come on display, right? And as we grow up, it's natural to compare. And I would say to particularly even some of the leaders here, my prayer is going to be, Lord, let us just be comfortable in our own skin. This is who we are. We don't resist it. We don't resent it. We lean into it. 
and it's really hard and it means things feel fragile or changing and predictable but lord if this is if this is biblical we really want to go for that and i feel like the lord's saying he's putting it in the foundations now so that we can stay we don't have to make the mistake i did of resenting it which is exhausting but saying lord you know it's a bit like forgiveness who here finds forgiveness easy no one forgiveness is i think probably the truest sign of a real born again person it's almost the most otherworldly thing in the world to forgive someone who has sinned against you. And this is almost, this is not quite in the same league, but almost. To be spirit-led means I can embrace sending with the heart of God and staying paternal. You know, we care. We don't just hold or hurl, but we care. And, and finally, so vision, values, and then vehicles, three Vs. Vehicles are just the things you do, the things that get you to where you're going, your vision. So I put in here rhythms and big rocks. I, what are the things you're just going to choose to do? So in England, I was like, well, I, okay, Lord, you want me to celebrate this dandelion church? <laughs> Not resist it. How do I do that? Okay, number one, every year have a global Sunday where all of the people who have been sent, you say, come back for one weekend and let us hear about what God's been doing. Come back. And we'll, we'll help you with your airfare. We'll help you. We want to, we want to celebrate. And that became a high. It's still happening right. In fact, I think it's happening this weekend in Canterbury right now. So you go, oh, Frank, how's it going in New York? Oh, that's amazing. What? And we helped in, when you were, oh, that's, praise God. We'll cheer you on. It's huge. You've you got to celebrate what you want to replicate. And you celebrate what you replicate, right? If we celebrate what God's doing, even when people are no longer in this room, man, suddenly you don't feel like you're losing. You realize globally you're killing it. You're doing so well. Um, we visit, right? You get on, we get on a plane and we build rhythms of visits. So we've already said this. I mean, we have a tiny house in England, just to be totally transparent. But we will... Gladly, as best as we can, welcome everyone. Yeah, yeah, we're coming to our 995 square foot house. But, you, but literally, it means you invest. And it means we plan to come back. We plan to come back. You keep it. You don't just cut things off. And you have rocks, things that you care about, that you put in place. When you pray on Tuesday nights, pray about people who have gone. Don't just pray about people who are here. 